Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Teacher Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. And it's the last one of the year. Hasn't time flown? I won't make it a long, heavyweight one, as I'm sure everybody is keen to start unwinding and just switching off after a long, long turn. I have two interviews for you today. In about 15 minutes' time, the MTA president, Don Gilthorpe, will be reflecting on the year just passed and looking forward to the year to come. But first, to get us in the festive spirit, I thought we should talk about what else but Christmas carols. At this time last year, I chatted to John Rutter about this very topic. Do have a listen to episode 26 if you missed it. And this year, I called up a composer, arranger, conductor and teacher, of course, who is as immersed in Christmas carols as anyone else I can think of. It's Ralph Allwood. Ralph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be with you. It's that time of year, isn't it, when many of us can't move without hearing Hark the Herald Angels sing, Once a Royal David City, O Come All Ye Faithful. What is it about carols that is so magical? I think that we have, in the church particularly, taken over all the best tunes. And we've said, oi, that's a good tune, let's have that. Vaughan Williams was brilliant at doing that. And he was a hero of English church music and, uh, well, English music, I should say. And his amazing work with the English hymnal, um, when he said, right, we haven't really got enough popular tunes, the best tunes for everybody to sing. Let's do it. Let's have the English hymnal and let's find some beautiful tunes. And I think of John Rutter as a kind of modern day Vaughan Williams, you know, because he is the same kind of, hero of English church music and of the carol. I completely agree with you about Vaughan Williams. Um, I have to say one of my Desert Island discs is the Fantasia on Christmas carols. There's something about it that I just love so much. It's because they're familiar tunes, particularly the truth from above. And I don't know why that kind of speaks to me in any particular way. Maybe it conjures up memories from the past. I don't know. Yes, I absolutely adore it. And I lots of the things I absolutely love. I first heard at school. I was at a state school in Kingston, Tiffin School, wonderful place with superb teachers. The first time I heard Three Kings from was there. Also the Berlioz, Thou Must Leave. I couldn't believe it. And ever since with Berlioz, I'm playing it at the piano and marvelling at the modulations and thinking, oh, what a clever modulation. Go from B minor to C major in such a short moment, you know. Is there space for carols as a teaching tool? So not just the school choirs, the chapel choirs will sing them at Christmas, but can we use carols as a teaching tool, as a way of explaining musical ideas? Well, that's a good point. And of course, using things as teaching tools and what we do for the young is something I could talk about for days on end. But the main thing to remember is that our young people love good music. Our old people love good music. Our middle-aged people love good music. Ralph, who are you to say good music? How do we define good music? I define good music. You define good music, she defines good music, he defines good music. Gradually that rolls through the ages until we have a consensus and we all agree. We get a consensus. We agree now that the Beatles are good because people have requested their stuff because it's good over and over again. If we give children really fine music, then they will love it. And with carols, so many of them are really good in what they do. 
yeah, that's all good about kind of good music and music that stood the test of time that's requested again and again and has, has just become yeah. part of, of life, if you like. However, there are lots of young people who don't know carols at all. They've never been to church yeah. because they're not religious. They don't have carols in school. And I can envisage a teacher standing there and using a carol as an example of homorhythm, for example. A student says, you know, what's homorhythm? Could you give us an example? Instead of saying a hymn tune, which would be perfectly good, they may not know hymns, ah, but everyone knows carols, but they don't. And it's far yeah, more it's likely, is it not, that instead of knowing the truth from above or away in a manger, children will know, all I want for Christmas is you or Fairy Tale of New York or Last Christmas. Are they the new carols? Yeah. Some of them are good. I mean, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas is a pretty good tune. So we can all sing that. But we give them more stuff, which is good. Incidentally, you said because they're not religious, they don't go to church. Actually, I like to just give a little plug for Evensong, because if you're not religious and you want to go to church, Evensong is the thing to go to because it is undemanding in a religious way. So I'm actually chair of the Choral Evensong Trust, whose mission is to get more people to go to Choral Evensong. And we say all faiths and none should go to Choral Evensong. It is absolutely wonderful. I also feel that the music of the Christian church is too good to keep it to ourselves. Look at J.S. Bach. Look at how much music comes from J.S. Bach. Let's not keep it to ourselves. You don't have to say the creed in order to be able to do it. Yeah, and something that's come up before in other conversations is the loss in schools of daily singing, the start of every day singing a hymn. Now, that's not to say that everybody should have, in inverted commas, Christianity shoved down their throat, which is what some people would argue. It doesn't matter what you're singing, but the daily singing really focuses young people's minds, well, focuses anybody's mind, and that has gone. I think that's a big change. Yes, I would love to work out a way of bringing it back. I have founded with the local vicar here in Pimlico in London, the thing called the Pimlico Musical Foundation. And that is because the five or six primary schools in Pimlico didn't have any singing. And so what we've done is raise the money to send in teachers to all of the schools, get them singing. Those that really love it can join the Pimlico Children's Choir which rehearses once a week in St. Gabriel's Church, beautiful church in Pimlico, and we sing a concert every term. And then on Wednesdays, we sing Evensong with eight teacher singers who are lay clerks, but actually teachers as well. And so they teach the children um, how to sing, help them to sing, join in with them. And I'm sure that can be repeated all over the place. And there's just something, you look at those children all singing who wouldn't have been singing otherwise and you think what is this force which keeps them doing this thing together they all sing together what is it that makes them do it even we musicians can't quite explain it we don't know why it's so good ultimately we can't say but we know that it is good and we know that therefore we want to give it to our young. So let's not make stupid excuses about, oh, it's Christian and stuff. Let's just do good music and give it to our young people so that they can love it in the way that we love it. As well as being an educator, you are also a very active composer and arranger. So as a composer, Ralph, if you're given a text to set, I suppose whether yeah. it's Christmas or otherwise, what are the first steps? How do you go about turning this text without music into the text of a piece of music? 
Well, I like to think I do it in a similar way, not as well, of course, to um, William Byrd, because Byrd wrote down quite a lot of his thoughts, and we know what he was thinking and saying. He said that when he has to write, set a text, he meditates on that text and keeps meditating on that text until the tune and the music for that text springs up and inevitably comes into his mind. And that's what I do. Sometimes, of course, I write the music before the text, but that's not what your question is. So I think of it just until the tune comes and then I go and play it at the piano and then I harmonise it and then I add bits. I think that's what quite a lot of people do. John Rutter writes it out so that it goes into your brain much more securely if you write it out. Of course, that's another lovely way of doing it. I think that's the way. Can I play devil's advocate? Yeah. You are a highly experienced musician with a wealth of music in your head that you have you know, absorbed throughout the years. A 14-year-old student who's sitting there trying to get their head around text setting as part of a compositional project or something doesn't have all that repertoire. So if you were working with a young person trying to come up with the tune and they're really struggling, they just can't come up with anything, would you suggest, for example, sitting at the piano or keyboard and trying to play it? Would you suggest trying to come up with it in their heads? How would you guide them to those first steps? Well, I'd judge by that pupil what their best musical vehicle is. So if they're a singer, I'd say go for a walk where people can't hear you and just sing and sing and sing until you come up with the right thing. If they love the piano, I'd say try playing some notes to the right words on the piano, etc. If it's violin, I'd get them to do that. Probably singing is the best because if we're any good at music, we hear the music and effectively sing it as it goes into the instrument. So I would probably say sing and go somewhere which you love, walk around, keep saying these words. And when you say words, you inflect them and the words might even form themselves into, um, you know, let's think of... um, O come all ye faithful, for example. O come all ye faithful, you know, come along, come and join me. O come all ye faithful. I, you know, if I were writing it, I probably wouldn't use the tune that we all know and love. Of course I wouldn't. O come all ye faithful. There you go. That's what came into my mind straight away because it was related to the inflection of my voice. But you've got to mean it. That's interesting what you said about suggesting to students they go and create music, i.e. inverted commas, come up with the tune, where they go and essentially improvise as a compositional tool, but they do it in a kind of happy place. That sort of implies that the classroom for one hour a week is not the place to compose. Or have I miss, am I twisting your words? Is a classroom full of kids an ideal place for creativity? Or is that the place where we should give them the tools and then they can go away and hopefully do it in their own place? Well, you see, I think give them the tools is the really important way of thinking. I wasn't taught to be creative at school at all. And yet I used to charge to the piano all the time and play my own tunes. We had extremely good teaching at my state school in Kingston, Tiffin School, but they taught the rules of harmony and got us to write things down and listen to great music. And I think they are the tools for being creative. 
creativity is a fascinating thing. Can you teach it? You teach the nuts and bolts of it. The actual spark of creativity is amazing. Those of us that are creative know that it comes if you are creative in a particular way. But some of us are creative in some ways. Some of us are creative in other ways. I remember when I was 13, I used to come home from school, having been asked to write in English a creative essay on, let's say, a day at the seaside. I'd sit there for about 20 minutes at home. And after about 20 minutes, I'd say, Mom, I've got to write an essay about going to the seaside and I can't think of anything to write. Oh, I'll come and see you in a minute, dear. Just finish the washing up. Well, how about this? How about that? Oh, yes. All right. How about this? And then she'd go away again and I'd slow down again and I'd get miserable. And then eventually I'd write something with her help. And then it was nearly time for bed. So I would, and this regularly happened, I would go to the piano and play pieces that came into my mind. I used to make up dozens of tunes and harmonic sequences and I just love creating these wonderful things then I'd go to bed depressed because I wasn't very creative because I remember the English essay my argument is actually give the tools and in English I wanted to be given just lots of words and phrases and ideas and in music we have harmonies and rhythms and what goes together Anyway, I've made my point. <laughs> That's a really, really interesting story about the creativity. Yeah. We're creative in different ways, I think. And we've got to enable creativity rather than actually teach it. As you say, in a whole class with lots of people there, it's very difficult to all be creative musically because you're all doing different things unless you're lucky enough to have lots of practice rooms. Ralph, I have one last question for you. Returning to Carol's, it's a very predictable yeah. question, but I'm intrigued to know, do you have a favourite carol? <laughs> well, I think probably, if you can call them carols, they're sort of anthems, really. We have uh, three kings from Persian, and just when all of the tenors and basses come in on, oh, it's so clever. And then, in the star shines out with the... And then in come the sopranos with the whole choir on a second inversion chord. I know the bit you mean, and I do love that bit as well. The, the first chorale, if you like, the first verse where the chorale is just tenors and basses. And then he expands yeah. it in the second one. It's beautiful arranging. The second inversion chord, um, a C major chord with a G at the bottom. So clever. Choirs get that wrong all the time, of course. They're expecting it to be called one. <laughs> And then the other one for me, a close second is, and has been since I heard it when I was 15 at school, sung by our excellent school choir, is um, The Shepherd's Farewell. Really amazing piece. Those modulations that take the breath away every single time, even if you know it Absolutely. inside out. And yes, the, last, yes. the last verse marked P, 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 P. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Do you know the backstory to the origins of The Shepherd's Farewell? No. He wrote it at a party. So basically, Berlioz had been getting some really harsh reviews of his music. Things like his music is undisguisedly nonsense and he has no melodic ideas. Uh, he doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know how to write. It's just a noise disorder and so on. And he was at a party and was asked to sign an autograph. And he was a bit bored. So he did that. And then just basically on the back of a napkin or on the back of a piece of paper or something, wrote 
what turned into the shepherd's farewell he wrote it out but just to kind of play a trick on all the critics he made up this huge backstory that this was a piece of music by a long forgotten composer called Pierre Ducré. And he'd found it um, tucked behind a pillar in, in a renovation or something like that. And he spun out this story and then choirs were rehearsing it thinking, this is gorgeous. And he basically fooled everybody and even got critics saying, you know, Berlioz could learn a thing or two from this long forgotten composer Ducré. Berlioz could never write something this simple and this beautiful. And then, of course, he, he kind of revealed himself and then turned it into L'Enfance du Christ. So the Shepherd's Farewell came before the rest of the piece. There you are, a bit of Christmas trivia for you. I see. Ralph, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time at this busy, busy time of year. All it leaves me to say to you is thank you and a very Merry Christmas. And the same to you. I've loved talking about carols. Thank you. Thank you to Ralph Allwood. I have to say, I love talking about Christmas carols almost as much as I enjoy listening to them or singing them. Now, I'm nearly done for the year, but there is one last voice to hear, and it is that of the MTA president, Don Gilthorpe, looking back at an interesting year. Don, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back. So, farewell 2021. Wasn't quite as mad as 2020, but it wasn't without its ups and downs. Yeah, indeed. But I think that this term people have really enjoyed getting back to ensemble music making, getting back to live performances. It's been brilliant to see a bit more of a buzz around music departments with the children gravitating towards us at break and lunchtime. And that thing which has been denied to pupils and teachers for so long is starting to make its way back. And certainly, I know that reading all of the accounts of how people have been rebuilding in the latest edition of Ensemble has been really inspiring um, and looking forward to seeing more of that as, as the months go on. And 2021 was a busy year for the MTA as well. It certainly was. We had our online conference, the first time we've tried anything as big as that online. We've done lots of webinars and those have been really popular. But to put the whole conference online was a big undertaking, but a really successful one nonetheless. And actually, the MTA has really found its place as an organisation to support teachers and to look after members and a much broader audience through things like the blogs and the podcasts and the webinars to help people in doing this job even better. Also, I think it's worth saying that we said farewell to Carol, um, who's been our conference administrator for a long time now, and she's handed over the reins to Jill, who um, I believe you'll be hearing from in the new year on the podcast. And she's doing a great job in, in setting up all of our webinars and looking forward to the next conference in May. Which brings me on nicely to 2022. Tell us about what other things the MTA has lined up. Well, we know that this term has been, while it's been good to get back to some music making, it's been really tough. And we're hearing from teachers all over the place that this has been one of the hardest terms in their careers. Even those of us who've been teaching a long time are saying that this has been difficult. So we're focusing in the new year, especially on teacher support and teacher well-being. Keith has got a really exciting edition of Ensemble Plans, focusing on well-being, uh, both for teachers and for pupils, and the programme of events and webinars and various other things that James Manwaring is doing uh, will hopefully help members to feel supported and feel like they've got people that can hear them and support them throughout this tricky time. 
So yeah, lots going on and uh, lots to look forward to, including, we are hoping, the conference. That's right. So we are currently planning and in full swing with the planning, actually, for the conference in May uh, at St Edward's, Oxford. So our first in-person conference for a couple of years. Um, Lots of very exciting things that I can't quite tell you about yet, um, but there'll be an announcement coming out in the early spring and everybody will be able to get their tickets booked for the conference, which promises to be very exciting indeed. Uh, It'll be so good to be back face-to-face. I remember just that feeling at the Expo a couple of months ago, just how good it was to have everyone back together. That's right. And there's nothing like it. That kind of networking, the whole Zoom thing is great, but the networking we can do when we're in person, the one-to-one support that we can offer is great. And actually, the one thing I can tell you about the conference is that we're going to be offering much more one-to-one appointments and mentoring than we've done before. Um, So we've had in the past, Marion Friend has been to do professional coaching during the course of the conference. This year, we're offering some teaching and learning coaching as well from MTA members who are really experienced and can offer some one-to-one support on things like curriculum design and specific issues of music classroom management and specific issues surrounding career development and things like that so that in particular is going to be very exciting this year. Excellent I cannot wait already (laughs) and finally Don before I let you go for Christmas do you have a message for music teachers everywhere? I think the most important thing to say is have a good rest over Christmas. Um, We know we're all tired and the best thing we can do is avoid work for as long as possible over the Christmas break. So we're renewed and refreshed, ready to start again in the new year um, and look forward to all the exciting things that we've got going on in 2022. Yeah, we all need a bit of a battery recharging, I think. Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much, Don, and happy Christmas. Thank you. Happy Christmas. Thank you to MTA president Don Gilthorpe and, of course, to Ralph Allwood just before. And that's it for this year of Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association. Thank you for listening to 12 months of podcasts. That's 22 episodes comprising over 60 interviews, all of which are on the MTA website. That's musicteachers.org podcast, as well as Spotify, Apple and so on for you to listen to any time you like. And finally, one very exciting bit of news. I'm thrilled to announce that this podcast has been nominated for its first award. Yes, it is on the shortlist for the 2022 Music and Drama Education Awards in the category of Outstanding Music Education Resource. Very exciting. The awards will be held in March, so fingers crossed for that. And that's it from me. If you have a moment over the Christmas break to visit musicteachers.org to look at the excellent work the MTA does and consider joining us, then please do. But also remember to switch off your computer, your tablet, put your planner away, put your school bag away, put your feet up, pour yourself a large glass of something tasty and just start listening to any previous episodes of Teaching Notes that you may have missed. Yeah, that was a joke. Uh, Not a very good one. It's certainly not worthy of a Christmas cracker. So I think that's probably my cue to sign off as well. I'll see you on the other side. And from everyone at the Music Teachers Association... Merry Christmas.